You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today will be the first of two episodes telling the story of Christine Hawaller. We'll talk to Christine about the experiences that led her to the path of a stem cell transplant and how she approached all of the challenges that came along with that plan. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey everybody, this is Ryan. When I found out I was going to be talking with Christine about her experiences, I really kind of looked forward to this one because I knew we'd be able to compare some notes. And uh, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed the conversation with Christine, and uh, I think you will too. So let's go ahead and get to it. Hey there, Christine. Hey, Christine. Hello. So, Christine, we're super excited to have you on the show with us today. Thanks for calling in. You uh, are welcome. So, I'm a little bit more excited uh, for today's episode because I think there's some kind of, I don't know if it's parallels or similar experiences that you and I had. So, mm-hmm. but to that point, I'm giving you and RJ both permission. I, I know I don't have to give him permission and he'd do it willingly, but if I start making this about me, just let, <laughs> okay. just say, Ryan, like That's you already right. had your, you already had your Time chance out. to tell your story. Is there, yeah. like a, is there like a poke button? Can I do a reaction? Like a uh, thumbs down or something? No. When it that functionality happening? is disabled. I disabled that <laughs> functionality. Um, so I'd love to hear your whole story. I mm-hmm. think based on some conversation you and I had earlier, it feels to me like this might be kind of maybe a multiple episode type of thing, just because you have so much yeah. to share. Okay. And um, hopefully you're cool with that. We don't have to do it all in this one session. Sure. So don't feel pressured to fit everything in, um, in one conversation. Um, and so I'd really like to just start the discussion with- Well, Ryan took three. Uh, yeah. Ryan took- <laughs> there you go. I did take three. He likes, he enjoys. Well, look, I took three and I, no joke, thought that it was going to be one hour for me to tell my story. And we legitimately recorded at least six hours of audio. So that's where my head was at. And so as much as you're willing to share, like, I think, you know, all the better for the people listening, right? Yeah. Well, as long as you, you know, we maintain interest and they don't get bored or, you know, fast forward to get past a section. That's so true. You know, I'm almost too scared to ask if that happened to the people listening to mine, but it's a valid, it's a valid uh, concern. Mm -hmm. So let's talk uh, just the very beginning. So Mm -hmm. um, I know at some point you had something actually happen that kind of triggered some alarm Mm -hmm. or alert to something. So, but Mm -hmm. before we even get into what that was, let's talk like that day about what's mm-hmm. your life situation? Who's at home with you, if anybody? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of work do you do? The, uh, mm-hmm. You know, just that general life kind of context for the listeners would be great yeah. to have. Yeah. Okay, so I'm now I have to go back to May of 2015. That was the day of diagnosis. Um, and at that time, my only child, a daughter, was in her freshman year. Uh, at an East Coast University. Um, And I was working with UW Medicine Advancement, which I still am. Okay. Um, That's University of Washington in Washington State. Yeah, correct. Yep. Uh, And and was a patient within our UW Medicine health system. 
And so that was an added benefit to me yeah. as a patient, um, but also as an employee. I mean, it, it's been really fortuitous to have gone through this mm -hmm. as a patient mm -hmm. when I talk to others who wish to be philanthropic within our health system. Yeah. So you'd yeah. already been working for University of yes. Washington. Yeah, I've been was, there four years. Yeah, what was your role? Like, what were you doing? So I, I work with folks who are philanthropic, primarily with Harborview Medical Center, which is a level one trauma burn center here in Seattle. It has a mission to serve all in addition to its level one status. It is responsible for serving every patient, regardless of their ability to pay. And so oh. there are lots of resources that are needed in order to do the work they do at Harborview. Yeah, I'd imagine. Where was, where was your daughter going to school on the East Coast? Mm -hmm. She was in New Hampshire at Dartmouth College. Oh, very cool. And yeah, a freshman, so her you first said? Year. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, she had gone to school out here, presumably then in Washington yes. State? Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Right yeah. Very cool. So that's kind of the life stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So everything's okay until it's not. So let's, let's talk about kind of what mm -hmm. got your attention mm -hmm. to start with. Mm -hmm. So I had noticed that I had a lump right at my left clavicle that hadn't been there before. And so I watched it for a few days, probably a couple of weeks to see if there was any change, whether that change was size or uh, sensitivity, meaning pain mm -hmm. associated with it. Neither changed, which was good. Yeah. Um, but the, my breathing became very labored, more so than ever before. And I had no idea. I thought maybe somehow this mass over here near my shoulder was impacting my breathing. So uh, that's, that was the trigger that led me on this process hmm. through diagnosis and treatment. So was it like really quick onset? The, no, the no I watched it. I mean, yeah. I think by the time I noticed it, I think it must have grown pretty quickly mm -hmm. because I hadn't noticed it before. And then one day I was like, golly, what is this? I mean, it's like the size of an egg, but half is under your skin and half is over. Oh, wow. That's yes. really big. Big. Did yeah. anybody else notice it just out of curiosity? No. 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 Okay. Huh. No. And so it's, it's my realization that something was different yeah. and not normal. And that started the process. And you were a little bit okay with it until the breathing, well, not okay with it, but it wasn't as alarming until the breathing was affected. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Because then I knew something was more dramatic than just this physical lump that I could see and touch. Right. Something was happening, happening inside. Yeah. Well, so then who'd you, like, who was the first call to medically? Like, what, or what was the first attempt to get some sort of mm -hmm. satisfaction? So the first thing I did, I'm going to say it was May 6, 2015. I contacted my primary care doctor who has seen me for more than 25 years. So she, she knows a lot about me physically. Mm -hmm. And when I told her what it was, she said, well, I'd like you to come in and have a CT because we need to confirm what I think it is. She didn't tell me. And I was like, oh, great. This is awesome. So then oh. I went And you in. didn't ask. No. Yeah. Because I knew she probably wouldn't say mm. because she didn't medically know for sure yeah. what was going on. Yeah. So then I went in, um, we did the CAT scan 
that was like on a Friday. And then she called me Saturday from her home. And she said that the results were in. She was super upset. You know, this is a patient she's had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Probably feels a bit guilty that she didn't catch something sooner or didn't see or test something sooner. And so she started the process in order to type what it is. And so through her, I went on to see an otolaryngologist who is a physician who works with any mass kind of from our shoulders to the top of our head, often surgically. Yeah. Um, So then I went in to see him. So had they just, I'm sorry, just just to step back a step. Yeah. Did she just do a CT scan or was there any blood work done or anything else? Wow. Because she felt she knew what it was, but she uh, needed the CT to confirm her assumption. I see. Even though she hadn't told me yet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, she needed that next level of confirmation yeah. before delivering the bad news. So uh, just I, I before we go on much further too, I want to put in a plug that I've done before, but just um, I've talked on other episodes about the power of having a doctor. Yes. So without a doubt, you know, like you're, you're a great case in point. Like this Mm -hmm. is a family doctor you've had for 20 plus years Mm -hmm. and you've had, you had that relationship. You also had someone to go connect with right away. Right. That you trusted. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, No, I think you're spot on. You, it really boils down to trust. You have to understand and agree with the recommendations and the redirection. I had no intention or assumption that I would ever see an otolaryngologist, and yet I did. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what did she tell you though before when she gave you the referral to the otolaryngologist? She did said, I know that, first of all? "Yeah, that okay. was good. Perfect." Yep. She said, "I believe it's what I thought, which is lymphoma, but I need that confirmed as well as it typed." Because there are, I want to say, 67 types of lymphoma, all different, all different treatments. And so before you have any ground to move on, you need to know what it is. And that was why she referred me to Dr. Uh, Neil Futron at UW Medical Center. Wow. That's amazing. RJ, did you know? Did you meet any of the, did you know any of these doctors beforehand only my family med doctor okay yeah i didn't know the others at all i mean i knew of neil futron because he has quite the reputation he's pretty much a rock star when it comes to his industry so i'd heard of him but i'd never worked with him or been a patient of his before so you went in with a lot of trust already yes because of his yes how much time passed between the day that you had the CT scan and your meeting with the um, otolaryngologist? One. One day. One day. Yeah. Wow. So she expedited it. And that's another that's yeah. another benefit, right? Of having yes. a trusting relationship with a, an existing doctor that, Correct. you know, she's got a vested interest. I mean, not that they're not always interested in curing patients, yeah. right? Correct. But, those relationships are real and yes. um, I, that speed, Matt, that time matters. That's amazing. One yes. day. Wow. Yes. Well, and it even was surprisingly, it remained quick because once he did the surgical 
remove, he couldn't do a needle biopsy. This was new. I didn't realize that. You can't do a needle biopsy for fear that you don't get cancer cells in that small biopsy. So he wanted to go to, to do a surgery to actually go in and take a large piece. Not, I don't think he took the whole thing, but a major portion of that lymph node wow. to ensure that he had all the necessary cells to type it. So the, the growth can have voids in it where cancer wouldn't have been detected, which would have Correct. missed the diagnosis. Wow. Correct. Okay. So were you under general when you yes. general anesthesia? Okay. Yes. Yep. I was. Uh, and thankfully he was able to connect with me from an airport. He was uh, on a trip and called me. This is how great these provide these providers are called me from the airport with confirmation and he's just super chill. I mean, he's just the greatest doctor. And he's like, yeah, no surprise. It's what we thought it is. And he goes, now that I know what it is, I can refer you to the right doctor at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for treatment. Wow. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad you're so chill. <laughs> because well, that's there, crummy. Well, it, <laughs> it is crummy. So, and luckily we can laugh about it now just because right. we're a few years in the, in the future, but yeah. let's talk about that. So, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't really get much into kind of your mental state. So let's talk mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. your, your family doctor giving mm -hmm. you the news. You said she was upset, right? Mm -hmm. How did yes. that conversation go with that first day where it's like, yeah. okay, this, the scans are in, it is what yeah. I think it is. How, yeah. tell me about, tell me about how kind of she broke that news to you and then what yeah. your reaction was to it and your family's yeah. reaction, that type of thing. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, she, she was super upset confirming what she discovered or assumed it would be and where I am very systematized. And so I try to think in columns, if you will. And so I, I was able to disconnect from the diagnosis and focus on next step. So in essence, okay, I hear you, but where do we go from here? What do I need to do? And that really helped me process that kind of information yeah. because I knew there was a, a process I needed to follow with her leadership, with her guidance. So you and, went straight to focusing yes. on action type of thing. Yes. Yeah. Because if I didn't, then it would be much worse, I think, emotionally and physically at that time. Yeah. And it worked really well because she had a plan. She totally knew what to do. And then I followed directions. She yeah. tells me to go see this specialist. Yeah. I do. And it just kind of fell into place from that well i don't want to beat a dead horse here but yeah. the, the idea that you noticed something wrong you knew who you trusted who you could call and engage with and she had relationships on how to move the next step forward very quickly it's almost like it didn't give you time to yeah. let that fear or uncertainty set in just because you knew what the plan was, right? I think Correct. that's something that's so common. Yeah. The, I think one of the things that caused the most fear for people who go through stuff like this is just, obviously you don't know the outcome, but to not even know what the plan is, I think Correct. that's where it can be scary. So being yeah. able to get there so quickly, I think that's a that's a really awesome for you that you were able yeah. to do that. And, and Google. <laughs> no, you know what? Oh. I didn't do that. 
Because I knew that if I filled myself with all that information, that I would go down that rabbit hole. And I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to stay above it and stay with the faculty or the physicians that were telling me what's next. You know, that, first of all, kudos to you. That's yeah, amazing. Really. Um, I, I'm wondering first, how much of that has to guest. do. Yeah, it's first, first, guess it didn't first person maybe in history too. <laughs> um, but it may have something to do with the fact that you work in that medical yeah. field kind of yeah. have for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, never in the history of people who have Googled some medical condition, mm -hmm. have they found that, oh, this is nothing. I don't need exactly. to be scared. It's way worse than, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yes. Yeah you, yeah. you avoided that whole whole path. So, okay, great. So yeah. um, you're very action plan oriented. Yes. And um, systems. I like, I, I like process and I yeah. like systems. And when I know, because I work in our system, I know it works well, but now I was going to experience it firsthand versus talking about it with others. Right. Oh my gosh. Which I, I don't want to jump too far forward in the story, but I'm guessing that has made this experience has made you even better at your job than you were before. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But I have to be really thoughtful because if you are a potential donor and you have a patient experience, I have to be really thoughtful and, and strategic about how and if I share mine with you, because the story is about you. It's not about me. But often people will ask me, they'll ask if I've had a, an experience or a familiarity with the system similar to their own. And wow. then the door opens yeah. and I can share a bit. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's just, what an amazing, like, okay. I'm one of these people that doesn't believe in accidents. I think there's no accidents in the world. And just your previous alignment in this line of work and then mm -hmm. your real world experience mm -hmm. to then be able to convey that as part mm -hmm. of your, I I'm guessing you view it as part of your life's purpose, right? To, to advocate yeah. and um, e even work harder at your job. I mean, just, whew, yeah, that gives me chills. That's amazing. Yeah. Really, yeah. really, oh, holy cow. Okay, so back to the medical part of it. So your, your doctor calls you what, on a trip? He's on a- He was- God, where was he? He was in our state, but he had to get our state of Washington yeah. and he had to get there by airplane. And so he was boarding the airplane to come home. And I can't even remember exactly where he was, um, but he said he wanted to give a call before he got on the plane because he had the results. He wanted to provide that update instead of waiting. Yeah. Super kind. Yeah. And again, he was just so relaxed with his diagnosis. Mm. And I'm on the other phone going, okay, one, this is awesome that you're calling, but two, it's kind of crappy that you're confirming, but we were only assuming before. So that's interesting because it makes me wonder, you know, you've, you've said multiple times, like how chill and relaxed he was giving you the results. Did, mm -hmm. do you think that impacted how you responded or felt mm -hmm. about it? Okay. Yes. Yes, with that or doubt. I think if he'd been uptight or sad or anxious or worried, I would have been the same. And you know, we tend you to model. Yeah, we tend to model what we see or mirror what we hear and see. And the fact that he was laid back helped me a lot. Yeah. To be similar. Oh, wow. So then what was kind of how did he leave that conversation? Did mm -hmm. did he schedule something with an oncologist or put you mm -hmm. in touch with somebody or how'd mm -hmm. that work? 
No. No, he took it on himself, which was great. And he said, well, now I know what it is. And I'm going to reach out to Seattle County Carolines and find who is the in-house expert that works specifically with this diagnosis. And then he said, uh, this physician will reach out to you to begin the scheduling process. And that, that, was, that was how it progressed forward. So the specific type diagnosis that yeah. this was, did you have an indication as to its relative, um, I guess, how common or typical it is for the Cancer Care Alliance to deal with? Did they give you an indication there? Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, my husband started looking online because we knew the diagnosis and he was kind of curious, of course, as to what that means and how many people have it. Um, first off, the diagnosis was acute lymphoblastic lymphoma, lovingly referred to as ALL. And you can either have T-type or B-type. I had T and uh, it's a fast growing cancer. It is traditionally found in children. So it's a pediatric disease. Most data is around treating of pediatric patients. Mm-hmm. Very few adults get it. Yeah. I'm, one, I'm one of the lucky few. <laughs> and so I felt really special. Maybe, with it. maybe you're a child at heart. Who there knows? you go. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I told myself. Uh, so, so indeed, that was the diagnosis. Uh, Dr. Futran connected me with Ryan Cassidy at SCCA, who does just this. Okay. This is his area of specialty. So they didn't try to send you to Children's Hospital or anything like that? I'm way just... too old. <laughs> you have to be under, You guys can't I think, see 21. me laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, but, but Seattle Children's, I mean, has been a worldwide leader in ALL treatments. So yes. uh, whatever they did, I'm sure you benefited from it somehow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and interestingly, the research that's done on behalf of ALL is through Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center, which also partners with UW Medicine, Seattle Children's, and Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. So it's kind of like the research mecca, if you will, for this kind of transplant. Amazing. Or this kind of care, sorry. We're not on transplant yet. Well, look, you just... You just skipped ahead in the story. Now our listeners are, look, don't fast forward to get to the trend. We'll we'll build up to that, I promise. Yes. Okay. So one last little nugget is um, as soon as I went, started to see Dr. Cassidy, he wanted to ensure that he knew where all the cancer cells were. And so with a myriad of tests, he confirmed that I had the trifecta which was cancer cells in the lymphatic system, my blood system, and my spinal cord fluid. And so in essence, a a treatment for the spinal cord fluid is different than treatment for blood and lymphoma because things don't necessarily pass that barrier within the spinal column. And so that was a different team member that had to come into my care because yeah. that was his specialty. Hmm. Well, Dr. Cassidy really f- focused on lymphoma and leukemia. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a blend oh, of some goodness. excellent physicians. Our goal at the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com 
and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. So when I went through my my treatment, I had leukemia, and um, early early on, was they did a, a spinal tap. I mean, they call it lumbar puncture, but yes, the, most yes. people have heard of the term spinal tap. And I think because the, everybody knows spinal tap is scary, they come up with a better name called lumbar puncture that Correct. is maybe supposed to be less scary. But yeah. but I knew multiple people that had those, right? It's part of just kind of the general protocol. Right. I don't know anybody that's actually had to be treated because of fluid in their spinal column. So yeah. um, that's something I definitely want to, you know, make sure we visit um, throughout okay. throughout your journey. Um, just because no, no, nobody shared anything like that yet. Okay. Um, okay. So, but this was all early on diagnosis stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So Correct. what other, what other, so they did blood draws, right? Yes. To get the blood cancer and the yes. lymphoma part out or understood. Yes, and the test I disliked almost as much as the lumbar puncture was the bone marrow aspiration. So that is a remarkable test or a, a diagnostic where they go into your hip bone in your backs right above, you know, so your back hip area and they use a syringe to break through the bone and actually pull the, the marrow from inside the bone and you feel it, it is, just, mm -hmm. I can't even describe to you what it feels like, other than the fact, and I probably had 12 of them over my process of treatment, but there was one young man who was always helping during those aspirations and he held my hand every single time. And he said to me, it was so cute. He said, you know, I see how hard this is on patients and I have asked my insurance if I can get this done so I can relate to what you're going through. And so a couple tests later, I followed up with him and he said, no, my insurance declined it. Oh, so he goes, all man. I can do is stand here and hold your yeah. hand as yeah. you squeeze it. Admi so. He's admiring the problem, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so I, I'm wondering, did you ever, so I had lots of lots of bio well so aspiration is another mm -hmm. way of saying bone marrow biopsy if you've Correct. heard people say that as well mm -hmm. um so i'm a wimp i'm just mm -hmm. copping out mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the wimp and mm -hmm. and when i so what i found out early on is that you can do something called conscious sedation mm -hmm. for the those bone marrow biopsies mm -hmm. which i don't know if you explored that at all but basically you're awake. It's not like mm -hmm. they're giving you general anesthesia. So you're awake and aware because when you get that biopsy, they have to have you move yourself into certain positions to assist Correct. them, right? So yes. you have to be awake to have it. But what conscious sedation does is it just makes you forget everything you yeah. went through. So ah. you like, essentially you feel like you're waking up out of anesthesia, but you've been awake the whole time. So wow. I, it's probably late in the game for you, yeah. but uh, if if you get to talk to anybody else who's going yeah. through this, they will do that. Uh, yeah. Conscious, they won't do it for um, for lumbar punctures. They okay. because it's that they, they consider it, I guess not. It's either not painful enough, or it doesn't meet some level okay. of discomfort, right? So they yeah. won't do it for that. But yeah. um, they will. They will do that for bone marrow yeah. biopsies. Because yeah, yeah. after I, my first couple, I was like, mm, I got to yeah. figure out how to make this more comfortable because yeah. it is not fun. Correct. 
And I was offered that same opportunity and I declined because that's one more situation where I can stay in control during this whole medical experience. And the fact that I had to be um, put under general for some of these other procedures made sense, but something that they said you could handle without sedation, I said, okay, let's do it. Wow. I don't, don't want to be RJ. unable to control myself while going through something like that. Do you, do you see, it's just yet another example of people being yeah. much stronger and tougher than me. I, I'm going to tuck that <laughs> away. I'll tease Ryan about that later. Yeah. We're buddies. It's okay. Yeah. Just one in many examples, but yeah. yeah. 12, 12 times you went through that without Oh, any... at least. Yeah. And that's probably a conservative guess. Mm. Yeah. So I'm not going to make this about me, I, I promise, <laughs> but I will tell you, UW, University of Washington, uh, for those of you listening, is a, is a teaching hospital. So in a lot of cases, as a patient, yes. um, you may end up having, you know, somebody in early on in their, their experience, right, as a doctor. So a Correct. lot of these things, you may be asked, hey, this doctor, I have a doctor who wants to come and do their first bone marrow biopsy biopsy on you or something like that yes and i i said yes i want to help yes. people out right yes yes and um the one time i said yes to that they hadn't um there was something with the anesthesiologist that wasn't mm -hmm. able to come support so i didn't have conscious sedation during this one so i'm mm -hmm. wide awake for this oh no <laughs> first time ever for this yeah. person doing it and he couldn't he couldn't get the needle in in the right spot in the bone so he took four yes. attempts at it and after the after the fourth attempt i said okay we gotta i can't i can't do it anymore we gotta have somebody else do it and so then his the the lead physician who was there the whole time right supporting mm -hmm. and coaching he came in to do it and and finished it i found out later that day though that the lead physician had sprained his right wrist the day before in a soccer oh. match oh. so he's doing the biopsy with a broken anyway yeah okay yikes yeah, was, yeah. yeah. okay back to you yeah yeah i so, had a I had a student who did one of the lumbar punctures and that made me nervous because, you know, you're right there next to your spinal column in your nerves. And I was like, okay, I hope she's really good. And she was, she yeah. did it well. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. How, you know, how cool that, that you're able to do that for other people as well. Right. Like yeah. if you think about it, all these, all the best surgeons and doctors and, and everybody that, that, you're dealing with they mm -hmm. had to practice somewhere right they can't just do this stuff you know right. through books or cadavers or whatever they use they have to start doing it on real people and and right. to have an experience where you can provide that um you know that help yes. to people is another way that you know you were able to help as well so yes kudos definitely. to you for being willing to do that not everybody well, and you too yeah i know it takes courage because yeah, yeah they can make mistakes but you have to kind of trust their supervisors and their totally. expertise and their choice and selection of that student yeah in your care you're completely right and i don't know i don't know if, if they gave you any um guidelines when you they were talking about doing the lumbar puncture yes. so when they did that did they give you any warnings about how close it is 
uh-huh. like to know. No. So they didn't either for me. I just remembered hearing that like as a kid, that if you yes. ever get a spinal tap, you have to be perfectly still or you yes. could end up paralyzed. Yes. So I, to this day, I don't know if that's true or not true, but I was <laughs> very careful not to move. Like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then on top of that, my anatomy, not everyone's anatomy, but mine, um, when they would do that specific vertebra where they'd go through to get the spinal fluid, they couldn't get any. And so they would begin really frustrated and do over. So like I'd have five or six taps at one time in one setting as they keep trying to get to the fluid and they can't. And so I'm like, okay, am I dying? Is Is that what that means? And they go, no, it's just some of us physically, the fluid may stop sooner, higher in the spinal cord than yours does or mine does higher than yours does. Yeah. So then they said, there's a one way we can guarantee that we have access to your spinal fluid so we can test it and medicate it. And that's by adding the Omaya reservoir. And at the time I had no idea what that was. Um, And so it was a solution because they couldn't get my fluid and it was actually a brain surgery where they implant, and I still have it because you can't take it out because it has brain tissue on it now, but they go through your skull and they thread this tail, if you will, and that tail lies in your fluid around your brain. And the fluid goes in through the tail into this little bulbous piece that I have under my hair, under my skin, and it fills through osmosis to maximum capacity. And so after that point, thankfully, no more punctures. Everything was done through this bulb, both pulling cells and adding chemotherapy. They could do it both. So it was like a Hickman device in your brain. Correct. Oh, my goodness. How many many, um, lumbar punctures had you had done before they put that bad boy in? That's a good question. I think the last failure was probably number six and they sent me to UW Medical Center to do it by x-ray and so I had this radiologist and a student in the room using an x-ray x-ray screen to watch as they put the needle in to see if they were in the right place and that failed and because that failed they said you need to go to the next step and that was the uh, the Amaya Reservoir. Oh my goodness. So yeah. first of all, how did they talk to you about how often that happens that they need yeah. to do that? Yeah. So they said it's pretty rare. It's rare. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. Um, but I know it has happened at SCCA before because uh, my neuro oncologist asked if I would talk with one of his young patients who had a similar problem and he and his parents were wanting to kind of learn more about it and understand from a patient who'd been through it, what it was like. And so there were a couple opportunities like that where I spoke with patients who were kind of on the cusp, I don't know, brain surgery, or keep trying with my spinal column. Yeah. Holy cow. So did they do the the brain surgery? Had you already started treatment for 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 your lymphoma? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you'd been you'd been in treatment for a while. Correct. Okay. 
Yeah. Wow. And then to go off the, okay, wait a minute. So the order of this is getting tricky because I want to have you talk about the, the treatment you went through for the mm -hmm. uh, lymphoma, which will reduce your um, blood counts, right? Like you're, you'll become immunosuppressed, I would imagine. Correct. Yes. So how do you have brain surgery when you're immunosuppressed? I would imagine that's like wildly complicated. I would think so too. But the good thing is all these professionals inter inter are interconnected. Mm. And so the neurosurgeon who did the Omaya Reservoir was in communication with all the experts at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Uh. And so they have this collaborative philosophy on behalf of that patient. And so yeah. how they negotiated that, I'm not really sure. I was just told where to be and when in order to have the surgery done. Well, luckily they were dealing with a very complicated thing, but they were literally brain surgeons. Correct. So, you know, yes. they get to say, yes, this is brain surgery. Yes. Wow, amazing. And wow. that provider, again, rock star, unbelievable and really good medical school friends, believe it or not, with my primary care provider. And so no like, way. Yeah. So it's this interconnection of professional and personal colleagues. That's incredible. Yeah. It was great. It oh, just kind of gave him more credibility, right? Because he's good friends with someone I really trust yeah. and have known a long time. And that's helpful. Wow. Amazing. Oh gosh. Okay. So now let's step back again a little bit to um we're going to now start, we're going to start with a treatment plan, right? So okay. they've, they've figured out, um, you, you've gotten with an oncologist to treat mm -hmm. your specific type of lymphoma. Mm -hmm. How much time lapses between, you know, when you find out mm -hmm. it's ALL and here's the type of ALL it is and how much time lapses between then and when you you check in for something like for treatment and did you check in like were you mm -hmm. at the hospital for an extended no, period of time? No, SCCA's okay. care is outpatient okay. but it's as an outpatient when you need a procedure that requires inpatient care then you go to a different facility which is UW Medical Center right on the campus of the university itself. Um, so it's a real nice collaboration between inpatient and outpatient care. So the treatments I received for ALL were called or are called HyperCVAD. So that's an acronym of these six different toxic chemical drugs that they alternate because if they gave it consistently like they do with most patients, you wouldn't survive. It's so intense. Mm -hmm. And I remember Dr. Cassidy saying, your treatment has to be more aggressive than the disease. And you have a very aggressive disease. So your treatment has to be more than that. Yeah. And so this is a tough protocol. He said it is a eight sessions, inpatient sessions in order to receive the two courses. And they alternate the courses between A and B with each of your admissions. Okay. Uh, and so, so one admission, like admission A would be three nights in the hospital and admission B would be six nights in the hospital because they monitor absolutely everything mm -hmm. as your body is taking in the chemotherapy. The cycle is like a 27 day cycle. Okay. And so I would go in, say on the first of the month and stay, whether it's three nights or six nights, six nights, go home, try to get well. 
And then you're being tested constantly to see what your counts are to see because they're so low from the chemotherapy and with time it heals and your numbers start to rise again. And I swear it's like on day 26, you feel relatively normal and you get the call for readmission. It's like, ah, and it's a cycle that never ends until you're in remission. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. That part was really tough. How did you, how did you physically respond to the chemotherapy? So Mm -hmm. did you get sick? Did you like, what kind of side effects, if any, did you experience? Mm -hmm. A lot of nausea. Uh, I couldn't eat really at all. I lost a lot of weight. Um, You're lightheaded. I didn't really have headaches. I mean, I didn't feel like malaise. I just had such extensive nausea. 10 times what I remembered from being pregnant. Really? Oh, even the sight, let alone the sound, like on the radio or the TV, if they do it, if they were doing a food commercial, I had to turn it off because I want to throw up. It just really? made me sick. Yeah. I couldn't handle TV commercials or radio commercials or it, the smell of food. Were you at that point, were you dealing with a nutritionist? Did they have? Yes. Okay. Yes. Were they giving you a really hard time about needing to eat? Yes, without so a doubt. That, that's yes. something that drove me so crazy. Yes. So I remember feeling similar to you. I didn't feel like that really till after the transplant, but um, I lost a ton of weight as well yeah. just because I yeah. wasn't interested in food. Correct. And I remember the nutritionist getting really frustrated with me, giving me lots of options. And I'll never forget that the option she gave me after just complete frustration was smoothies. Like, okay, yes. you know, eat a smoothie, use peanut butter and and bananas and yada yada i'm like look it's not that like certain foods don't sound good eating anything sounds horrible like a smoothie isn't going to make it better did you have the same thing yes and then she would really push avocados because it's good fat and i don't like or i didn't then i didn't like avocados and so that was like a punishment to get myself to eat it because i knew i needed to even though it tasted and felt terrible in my mouth. Oh my gosh. I I retroactively feel bad about it because I hope yeah. I wasn't too rough on the nutritionist, but it's like, yeah. uh, it's like they have a job to do, right? They've got, Correct. you know, so they're, they're just trying to do it, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they need like your one, um, was it a, a physician's assistant holding your hand during all of the the mm-hmm. biopsies? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they have they need to take something to feel like that that level of lack of interest in yes. food, so they can truly empathize with what yes. you know people are going yes. through. Yeah, and so then they would really push me to take the synthetic marijuana pills, yeah, I and I, I was a little nervous about that. Again, out of control. And so I can remember one of my day nurses during an inpatient period, and he asked me if I had taken any. And I said, I haven't. I'm not really in favor of that. And he goes, well, tell you what, let me just stand here with you and you can start with one, move to two and then three and just I'll monitor how you're doing. So you feel a lot safer. So we did that. And it it was very interesting because I took the third pill. And at that point, the idea of food did not make me nauseous. I didn't eat anymore, mm. but just the thought of it mm. was less repulsive. This was another, did you say it was a patient that was offering to? No, no, he was a day nurse. Oh, okay. Did I say I, okay. patient? 
Maybe no, I misspoke. I probably not. No. Okay. No, he's a day nurse. Okay. okay. He's awesome. Um, and just so thoughtful. Yeah. You know, he knew I struggled with food because I didn't yes. eat anything that was brought into the room. Um, and so he was trying to find a way to use that appropriate medication that might make it more bearable. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. You know, it's, it's, that's a, that's really unfortunate. It didn't, it didn't for you because I, I remember seeing something that you'd written about taking mm-hmm. the synth- synthetic marijuana. And I'd actually forgotten when I told my story that that was part of what I did as well. They had me mm-hmm. take that. And it, it's just a round, I don't know if it was the same thing, but a round rubbery looking pill mm-hmm. that I took, um, mm-hmm. that synthetic marijuana. And of course, my, you know, my, my friends and family all thought it was funny that because I was very straight laced guy like I've never drank never done any yeah. drugs or anything like that so they're like the idea of me taking essentially weed right but yes. but but it didn't have any of the fun benefits of weed like I didn't get high at all but it, it actually did make me hungry like it gave me oh. an appetite so well congratulations everybody responds it's interesting yeah. though that at, you know different levels of response to it right like it at least got you past the hump of feeling sick about Correct. food but it Correct. didn't encourage you you weren't able to eat any better no really. no huh. actually the final thing that really encouraged me to eat was you know they had threatened they the nurses had threatened and threatened that if i didn't eat calories that they were going to hook up which we refer to now john and i my husband and i refer to as the feed bag to support the full of hope podcast please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. So if you can imagine, you know, like a bag that blood comes in, but this bag had what looked like all the fat and gravy from Thanksgiving. And that's what they hooked hooked me up to. I just got hungry. (laughs) i said no more i will not hook myself up to this again oh but they did hook it so they threatened yeah. you with it and then they, and they followed through on that threat yes. okay well kudos to them for following yeah. through yeah um, and that's all it took i was like yuck i don't because you can see it and you know that's going through your into your body i'm like no way I'm not going to choose to do that again. Did they do that through an IV or did you have a device put in into like a, a more permanent, like a Hickman yeah, I had device a Hickman. support? Okay. Yeah. So, so they gave that to you Hickman. through the Hickman. You only had that once though, the food bag? Yes. And then you were like, never again. And then Correct. that inspired you to now eat? You could... No, I couldn't. I couldn't stand the hospital's food, even though they were very gracious and they had a lovely menu, but I just could not stomach it. So my husband would come in just about every day and bring a meal with him from a local restaurant. There's some really great restaurants close to this medical center and uh, he would vary it and bring something that he would first check. Does this sound okay? Does this sound interesting? And it didn't make me sick just being on the phone. And so I said, okay, let's try it. And so it was that process of just consistently eating at least one meal a day that was brought in. Oh, wow. Now, how, how close, how close did your husband live to the, the hospital? Mm -hmm. So at that time, which is different today, but at that time we lived, gosh, I'm going to say 12 to 13 miles north of Seattle in a town called Mill Creek. 
and you've probably heard about traffic here in Seattle and, and SCCA is pretty strict about where you live in according to our traffic and how challenging it could be for a patient to get in for their appointments. Um, but we were fortunate that they took the risk with us and we were never late for an appointment, even though we would leave like an hour and a half at times before the appointment because of the traffic. Yeah. So, so we lived up north, if you will, throughout all of my care and then moved four years ago uh, closer to the university. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So, okay. So even after the transplant, they let you live up in Mill Creek. Wow. Yes. Because huh. we okay. kind of proven that we could do it, True. right? That we yeah. knew our time to be there. Yeah. Um, and then we just backed it up in order to confirm that we would show up. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, I ended up moving from Bonnie Lake to downtown Seattle, which was like a big yeah. culture culture shock for yes. me a little bit. Yes. So yeah. Anyway. Um well very cool. So so you go through these um multiple rounds of chemotherapy mm -hmm. for the lymphoma, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At what point did um did discussion of other treatment avenues or paths or needs, when did that discussion come up? Mm -hmm. That was first raised at my first appointment at SCCA with Dr. Really? Cassidy. And really? I remember when he mentioned it and he had a fellow with him, which is a medical fellow is a higher level education past medical school. And this, this gentleman was from Italy, and he was kind of like the connoisseur of the value of a transplant. And I remember Dr. Cassidy mentioning it, and then this gentleman piped up and was really supportive. And I was thinking, there's no way. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That sounds terrible. And I don't think I could handle that. I mean, that well, so is... what did he tell you? So let, like, do you remember that conversation? How, yeah. how did that the go? First... So he's telling you yeah. what the treatment, the general treatment plan is, right? But how did yes. like, how did he break it all down to you? And yeah. what were your thoughts? Yeah, he said that the standard protocol for hyper CVAD is 10 courses, unless you hit remission before that, which I did at number five, excuse me, eight sessions, and I hit it at five. And then he said, after the fact, you have a decision to make. And I would strongly recommend that you, rec that you consider having a stem cell transplant. And I, I probably had a deer in the headlights kind of look because I've, just that sound sounds frightening. Yeah. You know, and then this gentleman kind of popped up and he was talking about statistics and data and benefits of mm. a stem cell transplant. And when you like, heard that term, did you know what a stem cell transplant was or, no. and what it did? No. Okay. So that's, no. you just got an education right then and there about what it is, mm -hmm. what it does. Okay. So how would you describe a, a stem cell transplant to people listening? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I want to give it justice for what it is. <laughs> uh, it is a process that we as patients go through that actually gets you to a point where you have zero immune system. And what they lovingly refer to as conditioning week is actually a week of full body radiation twice a day, head to toe, 
followed by two new types of chemotherapy, because now the focus is going into the bones and killing off all the marrow, because you're going to have a stem cell transplant of new cells, and they need to know where to go. They need to make up house, is what they told me. They need a house to build yeah. the insides of. And yeah. so they take you through this process, which is a week long, again, to kill everything inside your bone marrow so mm -hmm. that you can receive new cells. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. So that's total body irradiation, right? TBI. Mm -hmm. uh, some may, people may have heard that. Mm -hmm. So um, what I recollect about it is going into a room and mm -hmm. sitting on something that resembled like a bicycle seat is what mm -hmm. I remember. And mm -hmm. the room was completely empty and there were people talking to me through a speaker yeah. and telling me what's going on is, yeah. did you have something similar or how did, how did it Yeah, work? but I stood, I didn't sit on anything and you're in a frame that's all measured according to your height and your depth. Ah. So it's really interesting. They measure how wide you are to calibrate how much radiation they need. And then they, I don't know with you, but with me, they put bricks in front of my lungs. I can't remember how high it was or low for half of those treatments, because our lungs can only have handle half of that intense radiation. Why they did that with the lungs and nowhere else, <laughs> I have no idea. Like I'd like my heart to work too, that'd be <laughs> Yeah, awesome. exactly. exactly. Oh, my, my eyes, is. yeah. Yeah, and so- Your half, eyes, yeah. Yeah, for half those treatments, you've got these bricks in front of you on the frame, and then the second half, they take the bricks away. Huh. And you still receive the same, you're in a big room. Mm -hmm. It's actually a lead based room because the radiation can't or nor should it go out of the room. And so it's got this sliding wall. You go in, the tech comes in with you and kind of talks to you about process. Tech leaves, doors close. And like you said, they're talking over the intercom and they're watching, they're listening mm -hmm. to make sure the patient's okay ask about what kind of music do you want to listen to they put the music on mm -hmm. and then they talk you through the process did you give them a playlist no because that was pretty easy going and he oh. had some really good jazz music so i just followed nice. his lead yeah huh. yeah okay. and it was funny because the mark where the radiation came from was at the other end of the room with a clock right above it and so i could hear when the radiation was on and I could watch the clock to see how long the episode was because <clears throat> there were multiple in each setting. Yeah. And so one blast, if you will, of radiation was a minute and 20 seconds. Hmm. And they would do about eight, eight to 10 yeah. per visit. I don't think, you, did you, did you feel anything when you no. were having that done? Yeah. It's, no. it's weird. I didn't right? taste anything. I yeah. didn't see anything. Huh. I didn't feel anything, but yeah. the sound when the machine came on, yeah. you knew. So this must be another example of my weakness and whippiness. They must've determined I would not be able to stand like you were able to stand. So they gave me a bicycle chair. <laughs> what year was yours? I don't know why they put a helmet on my head too. It does seem unnecessary, but they might fall I'm off. kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was in 2008. Okay. Was when I had it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Maybe. actually. So one thing I'm curious about with you. So the day i remember the day before they did tbi 
So they also did like a different, for me anyway, they did some different chemotherapy, like mm-hmm. to prepare you. Essentially, they're killing your immune system to the point it'll never recover, right? Correct. Like for, for a stem cell transplant replaces your immune system Correct. with the immune system of somebody else, a donor, right? Correct. So, yes. um, but I remember before I started treatment, signing something that essentially said, and they were pretty clear, they're like, look, you're likely to get another type of cancer within the mm-hmm. next decade. Yes. Like, and so did they, did you have the same thing? Yes. What, yeah. t- tell me your thoughts about signing that piece of paper. I didn't really feel like I had a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the likelihood of secondary cancers after hitting year five mark goes up exponentially. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, But I also knew if I didn't do it, the probability of survival was about 20% lower than if I'd had the transplant. And so I just kind of grinned and bared it and said, you know what, this is what it takes and I'll deal with the ramifications in the future and, uh, and went forward and, and actually did it. But yeah, it was not. Well, uh, and your, your, your option is, I mean, you wouldn't recover. Like you probably wouldn't recover from this, right? So right. let's let's Correct. get through this. Yeah. Then we'll deal with. Yeah, I mean, what it, next. Yeah, it, it's not like there's an alternative, really, or it doesn't feel like an alternative anyway. But there are some patients who go through the protocol and choose no transplant, and sure. that is an option. Yeah. And he reminded me, Dr. Cassidy always reminded me that that was my option. But then he is so good with statistics and data. And he said, here's why you should consider a transplant. Statistically, your longevity increases by these numbers of years for this amount of time if you stay in remission the first five years post-transplant. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That would have been nice. Yeah, that would be nice to know ahead of time. Yeah. yeah they seem to have the procedure pretty well dialed in, right? In terms of the transplant. Did they talk to you about, um, about whether you had an option to do a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant? Was that discussed? No, because they technically today are one and the same. Mm -hmm. A bone marrow transplant tends to be when the patient is younger and would benefit from direct bone marrow versus stem cells. So instead with a stem cell transplant, my donor was my sister and she's simultaneously of that conditioning week going through her procedures to kick up her immune system as much as possible. So she's getting all kinds of medications that make her bone marrow overproduce. So they can suck out at least a million cells for transplant. So your sister was the donor. Yes. Wow. And she lived out of state. And so she would come, bless her heart. You know, I think she had to come here twice before the actual transplant in order for her to go through the medical procedures for herself to be the donor. Right. But she went through the procedures out of state? No, she came here. She did them all here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when did, when did, First of all, how early in the pro- did you decide early on? Okay, I'm going to go the chemo route and then go straight to transplant. Was that a decision you made at the beginning? 
No, no. It's just Dr. Cassidy continued to bring it up every, okay. nearly every appointment. Hmm. And he would not question whether or not I'd made a decision, but he would just kind of restate yeah. the fact that that decision needs to be made at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, because yeah. that would be the natural progression. Right. And that that's what makes the most sense. But you, the patient, need to be comfortable and confident in making that decision. How can I help? What yeah. do you need? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so once you decided, yes, you're going to mm-hmm. move forward with that. Um, obviously, they tested at least some of your family because your sister ended up being mm-hmm. your donor. So mm-hmm. tell me about how that worked. Like, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. did you, you know, is it a call out to family to say, hey, here's what mm-hmm. I'm going through? Would you be willing? Or did people volunteer? Like, tell me how that part yeah. of it went. Yeah, that, that was an interesting process because I didn't really have anything to do with it. Because the way it works at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, um, Dr. Cassidy transferred me into the transplant team and the door closed. So he really had nothing to do with me at that point. Now I have this whole huge new unit of providers that work specifically with me in preparation during and post transplant. So as soon as I was transferred into the transplant team, they handled all that coordination. So they tested my brother, my sister. My old sister can't because she's had a different cancer in her past. Um, My brother did not match and my sister did. And so she was delighted, you know, to be able to be that that link, that that resource where nobody else could. So I didn't have to go on a national list, if you will. Family is much better than Mm non-family when it comes to that type of match. Yeah. So she was the winner. Amazing. Older, younger sister or twin? Younger. Younger. Mm -hmm. Do you mind giving her name or no? Yeah. Her name's Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn. Wow. And she lives in Boise. Oh, right on. Yeah. Very cool. So she's getting um, essentially cell booster shots, right? The things to, yeah. Which, which are something that at least, um, in my case, I ended up having those as well, like right before, after I was checked in. And so you had the same thing. Yes. So tell me this. So the thing I noticed about those shots, so those, these are shots, like I I told you I'm a wimp and the Hickman device is a miracle, right? Because they just give you everything through the Hickman, but these particular things, (laughs) (laughs) well, so for me, they went into my stomach. So, but, but it's a shot. Well, yeah. it's a very, very tiny needle for the yeah. one I had yeah. was like, I don't know, half an inch and super, yeah. super dull. Like you didn't, you didn't feel the needle even going in, Yeah. but when they pushed the medication, it packed yeah. a wallop. Do you yes. remember that? Yes. That was weird. You're right. Yeah. But you know what I also remember is the nurse provider who did the shot every time I had it. You're right. It was in the stomach. It was not in the arm. She was amazing. You know, so she and herself, so interesting that I was fully distracted in conversation with her because she was so amazing and such a wonderful person just to engage in conversation that, you know, she talked about what she was doing, but I wasn't really paying attention to what she was like, look over here. Yeah. And she pushed it really slow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I must have pissed them off one day. They, <laughs> I feel like they pushed it a little fast. Once, uh, and I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, like it was one of the yeah. more painful experiences I had yeah. throughout was just that stuff going yeah. 
the medication itself, yeah, bizarre. Yeah, I'd forgotten um, about that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that whole process. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so let's talk for a second then. I'm guessing you find out pretty early on, you and your sister find out pretty early on that she qualifies to be your donor, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is this is really neat because I'm wondering, I'm guessing you were able to talk to her about her experiences preparing mm -hmm. for it, right? Mm -hmm. Coming, leading up to it. How early prior to the actual transplant itself did they take her, her cells? Mm. Do you remember? So, mm -hmm. so I had a transplant on October 6th and she had her cells harvested two days before that. They like to have a, a very small window because they want the health and wellness of those cells to be optimal mm -hmm. and time makes them less so. Yeah. And so it may have been one day, may not even have been a, two days. I mean, it's pretty immediate. Did you, did you know that that was the case? Well, you did because you knew your sister was doing it. Mm -hmm. Did you have any thoughts about that? Oh, so, I thought it was brilliant. Oh my gosh. You know, to find someone that's what's considered a perfect match. Yeah. Um, because they look for eight to 10 markers on your donor to make sure that, that your body coincides your cells, if I should say, with theirs. Um, and she was 10 out of 10. And so that was really special. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she was the one to do it, you know, was that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And oh, my that's... brother was really bummed that he was not chosen. Oh, really? <laughs> he felt like he would have the best possible cells to oh. share. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> did they tell you, did they tell you how close his match was? No. He's like two. No. He's like, he would remind you the rest of your life. <laughs> yes, how much you owed him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Is it an older brother? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I yeah. saved your life. I totally saved your life. Exactly. Yeah. What'd you get? What'd you get me for Christmas this year? A gift card to Best Buy. Oh, wow. I already gave you your gift. Well, hmm. yeah. Um. Well, so I guess what. So that that's I love your perspective on that. Where I was probing at was when I found out my donor. So I had an unrelated donor. Okay. When I found out, like. 10 days before my transplant, I made the mistake of asking the question, like, can I go see my cells? Like, can I go oh. see the donor cells? And when I found out they hadn't even extracted them yet, oh. I was like, holy crap, what do you mean? Like, my immune system's never going to recover from, from the TBI I've had. Correct. And what if something happened? Like, correct. Did, yeah, was that weird to you? Did you think yeah. about that at all? Like I just well, I had so... the I had the advantage of knowing what my sister was doing. Yeah, she's not going to bail on you. Yeah. yeah, so she was keeping me updated about her process that she went through. You know that I don't know what the term is, um, but it's a machine that's kind of like kidney dialysis, where they take the blood out, run it through in yeah. order to get the cells, and then put stuff back into her. Right. That took five six hours of her laying there having that done. Um, that was hard for mm -hmm. her. Um, but thankfully she persevered and they were able to capture the volume of cells needed for a transplant. Wow. So it was once it was one sitting for her to yes. do that donation. Correct. And that was done at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance? Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Through an IV, right? She Yes, yeah. in both arms. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh gosh. Yeah. She had to be pretty lightheaded. Like I'm yeah. wondering, yeah. 
Yeah, because I was mobile, right? So I could walk around. And so my husband and I walked down to see her and her boyfriend and just to physically see what she had to do. Oh, and that's that was so helpful. amazing. Yeah, it was really helpful just to see it in action and the protocols and the processes they have in place to keep it sterile and the people sterile was remarkable. Yeah, and to see the finished product. Like here's this little bag of beigeness with a little bit of pink. Yeah. And that's your that's your prize. That's going to save my life, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's what you had to be thinking. Correct. You were able to go see her in the donation process. Were you checked into UW Medical Center for the for at that point or not yet? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Okay. So how long before the transplant itself? You said it was in October? Yes. How long before the transplant happened itself did you check in? Well, interestingly, the way it works for most patients is they become an inpatient during conditioning week because it's so horrendous that most of us need help during that time. But I was like steadfast wanting to stay home, not wanting another hospital stay. And so I actually stayed all the way through the TBI and the chemo at home and then checked in at the hospital, I'm going to say on Saturday. So I was able to visit her, must've been the same day at mm. Seattle Cancer Care where she was donating. And then I checked in shortly thereafter inside the hospital. Yeah. And then the transplant was the next day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're checked into the hospital. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So I'm, um, did you check into the same floor that you were had been previously at at University of Washington same um, area same tower I'll say okay. that much yeah okay. when you're a hematology patient oncology and hematology is on floor eight which is phenomenally brand new I mean it is amazing transplant uh, is another floor down and less sophisticated I should say as the uh oncology unit is it's just a little more antiquated mm-hmm. oh wait they're not in the same tower two different towers so oh, there's getting, a new, yeah there's that new tower right yeah yeah Montlake yeah. tower is where the actual inpatient treatment went the transplant was over in the cascade towers in the older part of the hospital that's where i was yeah, yeah they didn't even right. have the new tower when i was there oh you're right yeah you're right they built it they, they didn't name it the Ryan Higgins Tower. I was super disappointed, though. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I can help you with that. I can Ooh, get that nice. named. Let's, yeah. get together. Yeah. Let's get together. Okay, so the it w- was probably a different set of, of nurses and assistants Correct. and stuff. Then. An okay. entirely different team. Yeah, yes. so that was interesting for me because I had the same floor and yeah. same all, the, the exact same team. So, you know, you get, I got anyway to know the nurses and, yes. and PAs and all the technicians, everybody really, really well. And, yes. you know, that's pretty power. It can be pretty yes. powerful as well. Yes. And have a huge influence on your outlook as well as your recovery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay. So you check in uh, to the transplant floor. You're like, oh, this is all old and antiquated. This is kind of a dump compared to what I used to have. Um, at the, at the yes. I mean, that's not a dump. I shouldn't say that, but yeah. Um, Okay, so you're checked in, you're ready for your transplant. 
take me through the night before, you know, mm -hmm. what are your, what's going through your mind? How are you feeling? Well, it was interesting because the nurses, the team had done a really nice job of saying um, the fact that transplant day is somewhat anticlimactic because it's just basically hooking you up to a bag and you wait for those cells to transfer in. And then they tried to make it a celebration, you know, with cars and signs and balloons. Um, so the night before, I think it was just enthusiasm, you know, to get to that next step. It's taken this long. We've been through a lot to get here and now we're here. <clears throat> um, so whether or not I slept doesn't matter because the nurses come in every four hours anyway to wake yeah. you up yeah. for your vitals. Um, so that's just part and parcel with inpatient care. Yeah. Um, but then the next day, that was very enthusiasm, a lot of enthusiasm when those cells were delivered yeah. into the room. Yeah. And the ceremony, it was pretty darling, the ceremony that the clinicians went through to recognize this is transplant day and it's your second birthday. Yeah. As you know, transplant folks all have two birthdays. Yeah. And uh, and they did a nice job of celebrating with the patient and their family. Yeah. During that momentous time. Uh, so who was there with you? Oh gosh, that's a good question. It was big. So it was my husband, my daughter. Was she their daughter? October. She may not have been there because it was she'd still be at school my donor sister, her fiance, and a close friend, plus all the team members, yeah. the clinical team. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I have a, I have a, some people get really excited about birthdays and some don't. Yeah. RJ and I are almost on polar opposites of that. RJ wants to make a whole week. <laughs> it's like I can drag it month. out for a month. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when you have all your friends, they, they want to say happy birthday to you. I just provide them an opportunity. There you go. But I do it strategically. So I'll get like a dinner this week and, you know, a card over this week. Yes. Yeah, it's Good thinking. Yeah. yeah. And then I have the, I just have the view, like, it's weird, but I just, everybody was born, right? So like, I don't get it for, for myself. I don't get it. I get more excited for RJ's birthday than I do for yeah. mine. Yeah. But, but transplant day, like, I feel like that's an achievement, like yes. going through that. So yes. I definitely celebrate my transplant day yes. as an achievement more so yes. than my actual, do you have Yes, I agree. agree. Yeah, yeah. Or Jason so, idiot for celebrating his birthday. That's right. No, it's okay. Well, I have a lot of friends that do it that I've way too. I've just been humbled. I've just been humbled. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have the benefit of two birthdays. That's yeah, exactly. the difference. He just has to take oh. the one. You're right. You're yeah. lucky. We, we're lucky. We get to choose. my finger once. Right? <laughs> yeah. You broke your collarbone or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody's in the room with you. You're getting mm -hmm. your cells. Is it emotional? Like, did you? In a good way. I mean, yeah. it's really positive because, yeah. you know, she had, my sister had been through a lot. I had been through a lot in order yeah. for this transfer to actually occur. Mm. And so that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. That was really positive. That's and magical. I think, yeah. And I think the way in which the clinicians kind of feed into the experience makes it much more celebratory mm -hmm. and very positive Yeah, because they're excited, right? They want to see patients get to that point and then they want that, that transfer to be successful. Yeah. And so they're with you. Yeah. Now this is where the long time inpatient care kicks in. I don't know how long you stayed in post, post uh, transplant, 
but I stayed in just over three weeks. Oh, I, I think I might've been a little longer than three weeks, but I'm not trying to one up you. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just the other way around. I was pushing so hard to get out. Well, so he was wimpy, remember? They needed <laughs> Don't forget. A little longer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey. Well, so, so three weeks. Yeah. So talk about, I'm guessing they told you about potential side effects, right? Did they tell you about mucositis and yes. the fact that you'd have to have the feeding bag and yes. all those? So, yes. so what, first of all, before talking about what actually happened, what mm -hmm. were your thoughts when you heard all those things about the transplant? Yeah. I said, that's all bunk. I'm a rock star. I am not going to be that sick yes. or stay in that long and I'm going to yeah. prove it. Yes. And so I went in thinking, okay, this is not going to wear me down. I'm totally going to tackle this yeah. and move on. Yeah. Uh, much to my surprise, they were correct. I was wrong. We're going to go ahead and end today's episode here. And next time we will hear more about Christine's transplant experience and discuss some awesome things she's doing post-transplant. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there, or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Christine's story is living proof that there is so much reason to be full of hope. I gotta